Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast. We've got a lot of topics on deck. Uh, We're talking about the NFL. We're going to do a scouting report on possibly the, the favorite for the number one overall pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. You know, we've got hockey, we've got basketball, we've got Euro. And let's start with the Stanley Cup Finals. The Tampa Bay Lightning versus the Montreal Canadiens. It's two to nothing right now. Last night, Tampa Bay took another one home. Is Montreal going to win a game, Ed? Gosh, I, I do think Montreal is going to win a game, especially with it going back to Montreal. You know those Montreal you know, Habs fans are going to be loud for their team. I mean, they, they haven't you know, had this kind of opportunity at a cup in a while. So, you know, I, I do think they're going to win a game. But you know what? The, the Tampa Bay Lightning are the better team. They're the favorite. They're, they're up to nothing. I mean, they know how to win close games. It looks really likely that the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to repeat for another Stanley Cup championship. I just, I do think the Montreal Canadiens are, are going to win a game. And Bovada Sportsbook agrees with you. Uh, they have the Montreal Canadiens as the favorites against Tampa Bay in Game 3, minus one and a half. Many people believe the Montreal will win at least one game. They are going back home. The Euro, we're up to the quarterfinals right now. We had some really exciting games in round of 16. I mean, we saw the game where Spain beat Croatia 5-3. to three. We saw Switzerland come back from 3-1, to one, force overtime, and then in penalty kicks, they took the favorites out of the tournament. France was everyone's favorites. And then England, they were able to defeat Germany two to nothing. That France Switzerland game might have been the best soccer game I've ever seen in my life. That game had everything, <laughs> and I mean, I, it was sad that Mbappe. I mean, you know, basically he he got you know his last shot saved and uh, you know in the last PK, and that's why Switzerland won. But I mean that. I mean, did you see that goal by Paul Pogba? That was incredible. I mean, that had to be the best shot I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, that was a thing of beauty. I mean, the the way he struck it, the way he curved it, it was it was beautiful, and he knew it as well. And his celebration, his celebration was kind of like an an NFL celebration. Maybe he's watching the NFL. I I didn't think that French players were into football, the American football, but it looked like he had the celebration down. I, I thought France kind of wrapped it up. I, I thought it was three to one, and and Switzerland showed heart. You know, they took it to them. They scored the second goal in the 80th minute, and then they scored the third goal in the 90th minute. Well, penalty kicks is like 50-50. Obviously, it's it's a shame that Mbappe, you know, missed one. The only player that missed the penalty kick because it was 5-4 to four up to that point. Everyone made one. He was the scapegoat in that game, but he's one of the best players in on the international state. I'm sure he's going to be back. But now France is out, Ed, and England... England are the favorites right now to win the 2020 Euro. They're at plus 185. And then the next one is Spain, plus 300, according to Bavada. Did you watch that England-Germany game? I didn't game? watch the England-Germany game, but I saw the highlights. And like to me, I just like when I think of England on the international stage, I think of them as choke artists. So it's great to see them be the come out the victors against Germany. 
It really was. I mean, they haven't won a major international tournament since 1966. That's when they won the World Cup. It was at home. And now it's almost like they're at home as well because they're playing the semifinal games in Wembley and they have the final in London. So technically it is becoming a home tournament for them and maybe they're going to be able to to come out victorious. They play a defensive game. People criticize them all the time, but their coach used to be a defender. I mean, it's not a surprise that he doesn't preach the attacking style of soccer. I do think England should be the favorites and Spain. Uh, Spain is the second favorite because, hey, they've scored like 10 goals in the last two games. In the first two games, they look like a team that just wasn't even interested in being at the Euro. But the last two games, I mean, they're they become the offensive juggernaut. The games that I'm looking out for, like in the quarterfinal game, it's Belgium against Italy. I think one of those teams, whoever is victorious in that game, is going to move on and advance to the final. And I do think England is going to meet them there. So stay tuned. This has been an exciting Euro tournament. A lot of goals scored. And and the round of 16 was just a thing of beauty. I mean, Teams were just opening things up and and scoring lots and lots of goals. I'm not a big NBA fan, neither is Ed, but I have to give a shout out to Phoenix Suns because in the beginning of the season, nobody had the Phoenix Suns in the NBA Finals, but they defeated the Los Angeles Clippers. They beat them 4-2. Chris Paul is taking the, the Suns to heights that they've never been to before. The last time they were in the NBA Finals, it was in 1993. That's when Charles Barkley was leading the charge. He was their star player. Now everybody knows Chuck because he's an entertaining analyst at TNT along with Shaq and Kenny Smith and Ernie Johnson. But at that time, Charles Barkley was a big-time NBA player who advanced the, the Phoenix Suns to the NBA Finals. So I really commend the Phoenix Suns for being here. Nobody had them there in the beginning of the season. They were the lawn odds, but they came out and they just, hey, keep going. In the other bracket, the Eastern Conference, we've got the Bucks and the Hawks, and they're tied right now 2-2. Two to two. Well, We'll see who will advance to the finals to face the Phoenix Suns. Enough about the other topics. This is a football show. This is a draft show, so... We decided to talk about some NFL stuff going on. Let's start with rookies. Those 2021 NFL draft prospects, they're rookies. They're going to have their training camp in about a month. Um, Let's start with who we believe is going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. And I assume on top of your list, you're going to have a couple of quarterbacks. Alex, that is right, but I also have a non-quarterback on my list. Uh, so one, I've got Najee Harris. I just think he could be a great back. I think you know he's the right player. I just wonder if the the Steelers will have enough on the offensive line to make holes for him. Granted, he's not Le'Veon Bell. He's not going to be waiting, you know, for holes and stuff like that. This is a better back than Le'Veon Bell, and I said it. This is a better back than Le'Veon Bell. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what he has to do with that offensive line. That's quite a statement, Ed. I mean, any running back needs big holes to run through. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. Barry Sanders, Emmett Smith, you know, Adrian Peterson. Without an offensive line, those guys would be nothing, right? Except for probably Barry Sanders. But that's quite a statement that you think that highly of Najee Harris and you would take him over Le'Veon Bell. I mean, is this like... 
Is this a statement out of spite a little bit just because the way Le'Veon Bell left? Or is is this a sound statement where you're, you understand what you're saying? All right, well, l- let me talk about what happened between the lines. Le'Veon Bell used to be the guy who would wait and see and make the defender make the first move, right? That Agreed. was what he would do, right? He would he would come up to the line and once once the defender made a move to the left side, he would go right. You know, if if he attacked, you know, he would slow down. If he you know, he he'd run him over. He 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 was always reacting to what the defender did. And that worked for him. On a statistical level, he did very well. He was he was a good back. I mean, he was at one time the best back in the league. But, I mean, that Steelers offensive line, they were a really good offensive line. And I just, I mean, when you think about the numbers that Najee Harris could put up this year, I mean, he could be, you know, a top five fantasy back. I think he is a top five fantasy back. I mean, he's got, you know, Chuck Wumo, Korafor, who's largely unproven and, you know, playing on the left side for the first time because they think it's his most natural position. And then you got, you know, Kevin Dotson, who's had a really good year as a pass blocker, but, you know, we still don't know who he is as a run blocker. You know, he's going to win the job. Center is a big question mark. I mean, it could be J.C. Hassenauer, could be B.J. Finney, could be the guy they drafted. It's open competition. And then Trey Turner is probably going to be the right guard um, after David DeCastro was cut. And then you got Zach Banner on the right side. So <laughs> this is not uh, Alejandro Villanueva, Ramon Foster, Marquise Pouncey, David DeCastro in his prime, you know, Marcus Gilbert or so forth. The fact of the matter is, is that if you have if you have the offensive line that can run block really well, you're you're going to put up stats. I mean, that's but I will say this about running backs. And and this is just a change in philosophy that you're going to see coming forward from me on this podcast is that I'm going to value running backs a lot more than a lot better than I did. You know, I heard an interesting stat where they say, uh, and I don't know if it's this far forward, but running backs could be like the number two most important position for a competitive advantage. And, you know, I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought about it. And I mean, you you think about, you know, a lot of those teams, you know, as they get down in December football and January football, you know, the teams that can run the ball seem to have an advantage. I mean, on some level, every team in the NFL can pass the ball, right? I mean, or, or, you know, if they can't pass the ball, they're not going to be in December football. They're not going to be in January football. And so you think about it as I'm going to start valuing the running back a lot higher than I have in the past. All right, fair enough. But when I look at Najee Harris and the players that you listed on that offensive line, the Steelers are really unproven up front. Exactly. And the point that I'm trying to make is that any running back, any running back, even a great one, needs a good offensive line. And and you listed those players, that's an average offensive line. Najee Harris isn't the type of back that's that's going to gain yards by himself. I'm not saying he's going to go down every time, but he needs a hole. He needs a hole. And at Alabama, I'm sorry to say this, but the holes were huge for him. He didn't even have to try hard because nobody touched him in the first five to seven yards. He's not going to have that advantage with this, with that Steelers offensive line. If you give me Le'Veon Bell's offensive line when he was running behind those guys, Najee Harris gains like 2,000 yards during his rookie season easily. Because that was a great offensive line. But he's not going to do it here. He's going to struggle, Ed. He's going to struggle because any running back, especially a rookie running back, forget about a rookie running back, even guys like Adrian Peterson, Emmett Smith, 
great backs. They need a good offensive line. That's why I think Najee Harris, uh, if he's going to be taken somewhere in the second, third round in fantasy, even higher, to me, that's ridiculous. It's a really high risk type of player and that I wouldn't take in fantasy. I want to say that, you know, you talk about baseball, you talk about basketball, you talk about hockey, you know, any of these sports. I mean, the great ones, it's it starts to look like an art form, right? Like, it, you know, when you watch them, when you watch the tape, when you when you see them run, you, you know, they a lot of them have so much control, so much strength throughout their body, you know, so much speed, athleticism. They take good care of themselves that, you know, it looks like an art form, right? That's what I saw from Najee Harris at Alabama. I mean, it was an art form. And, you know, he dominated whenever he was asked to run the ball for the Crimson Tide. So I... I really, I really don't think Najee Harris is the problem with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I, I really do think he's going he's gonna to rack up yards because of who he is. Alabama running backs are always a tricky proposition because some guys have been successful, like Derrick Henry, like Josh Jacobs, but then we've had guys like Damian Harris, Eddie Lacy. I mean, it's kind of been hit and miss. Trent you Richardson. Don't think, you don't think Damian Harris is very good? No, he's not. He's an okay back, but I wouldn't put him in the top 10. I mean, when we're talking about a good back, I mean, he's got to be like in the top 10 at their position. No, Damian Harris is, I mean, he hasn't even claimed the starting job for the for the Patriots out there. He's kind of been in and out of the lineup. A good back needs to gain at least 1,000 yards, at least 1,000 yards. Damian Harris hasn't done that. So Alabama backs have been a tricky proposition through the years. They've had great offensive lines, and when they get to the NFL and they don't have that luxury, they can't find the hole. They don't have that vision, they can't do it. I'm not saying Najee Harris is a bad player, but any good running back needs a good offensive line. They kind of go hand-in-hand, and I just don't think the Steelers are going to be able to open up holes for him. He's not going to find any holes, and, and that's why it was a little surprising that you put Najee Harris here first on your list so i would assume he is your favorite for offensive rookie of the year well i want to talk about some other guys first all right fair enough so there there is trevor lawrence you know who was the number one overall pick you know could be dominant put up big points against good teams uh you know led clemson to a national championship as a freshman i mean this is you know this is a guy who checks a lot of boxes i guess my concern with him and it's actually one detail if you look at who his bookends are and i know i know Jawan taylor was one of my guys and i know i said he's an nfl left tackle and so forth but he has not been a great right tackle in the nfl he he really is kind of a bust for me so Jawan taylor on the right side and the other one is cam robinson i cam robinson was like the best tackle in that draft class or he was the first one taken in that draft class i'm not a huge fan of cam robinson i mean I almost think with Cam Robinson, you kick him inside. I, th- I think the weakness with Trevor Lawrence is that I don't think he's going to have the bookends to you know keep him upright enough to win a rookie of the year. But I do, I do think Trevor Lawrence is going to be a good quarterback in the league. Well, Bovada has Trevor Lawrence as the favorite to win offensive rookie of the year at this point. He's plus 275. Obviously, the, the sports books, they believe that the number one overall pick from Clemson is the favorite here. But that doesn't mean he's going to win it. So I assume that the next guy that you're going to talk about is the one that you're on board yeah, with. Yeah, and you, you know that I love Zach Wilson. And I, I just I just think he's going to change the, the Jets. And I, I know the Jets aren't necessarily there yet 
But, I mean, from an offensive standpoint, they've got a few pieces on the offensive line. I mean, Mekhi Becton will be a second-year guy. He could be a top 15 left tackle in the league, Mekhi Becton. I mean, I you know, I, I wasn't as high on him as maybe the Jets were when they drafted him. I like the pick. I mean, on the right tackle, they're fine. You know, they, they added Elijah Vera Tucker, who's going to play the inside for them. You know, they don't have, like, a star. You know, they don't have, like, an A.J. Brown or, a you know, Julio Jones, like, the Titans, but they, they've got some good receivers, right? The Jets have some guys to throw to. Like, Zach Wilson isn't isn't coming into, like, you know, what Sam Darnold was throwing to. No, absolutely. He's He's got a much better offensive line, and he's got better weapons around him. You know, I've given you the long answer. The short answer is I, I think Zach Wilson is going to be the offensive rookie of the year. Well, hey, it, it goes with everything that you've said throughout the draft process as well. Once you fell in love with Zach Wilson, you pushed him ahead of Trevor Lawrence, and you know you, you liked him, and you've said all along that the Jets are a surprise team, that Zach Wilson is going to change that franchise, like Patrick Mahomes has changed the, the Kansas City Chiefs. It makes sense that, that Zach Wilson is going to be your, your favorite for Offensive Rookie of the Year. I'll go with three other players, Ed, just for the sake of being different. I knew you were going to go with a couple of quarterbacks, Kind of had an inkling that you were going to push for the Pittsburgh Steeler, Najee Harris. So I'm going to go with another running back. I'm going to go with Javante Williams, running back of the Denver Broncos, who came out of UNC. I just think he's in a much better position than Najee Harris because the Denver Broncos offensive line is turned into one of the better groups out there. I mean, that's their strength. Mike Munchak has just turned that group and and has developed a couple of those dudes. Uh, I'm looking at you, Garrett Bowles. You were playing like crap the first couple of years, and all of a sudden you're looking like you know a top ten offensive tackle in this league, and you're getting better by the I, minute. I would even so say top five. I think there you go. Even you know Ed is pushing you out here. So I would say Javante Williams, and here's the reason why: Philip Lindsay is gone. Melvin Gordon is always injured and is always on the shelf. He can't stay healthy. So I think Javante Williams is going to get every opportunity to just pound the rock behind that offensive line. And you know, you know that the Broncos still want to run the football because they've got what? Teddy Bridgewater, they've got Drew Locke. Even though they have, you know, good receivers on the outside, their identity is still going to be about running the football. So I think Javante Williams behind that offensive line has got a really good shot to claim that offensive rookie of the year. I also think Kyle Pitts. I mean, we got to think a little bit outside the box. If you and I both felt that Kyle Pitts was the best offensive prospect behind the quarterbacks and we got to give him a shot here Julio is gone he's got Calvin Ridley but you know Matt Ryan is just gonna throw it to Kyle Pitts every opportunity he gets especially in the red zone with his catching radius with his hands with his leaping ability Kyle Pitts is gonna be a monster in the red zone and he's gonna get a lot of opportunities and a lot of targets there and the more touchdowns you score say he gets the double digits He's going to be in the conversation as well. And another guy I want to throw out, he was not a first-round pick, not a day-two pick, but I just see that he's going to get a lot of opportunities in this offense. And I'm going to go with Amon Ross St. Brown. Detroit Lions don't have any wide receivers on the roster. Jared Goff is there, and I think Amon Ross St. Brown is going to become his favorite target. Whether he lines up outside, whether he lines up in the slot, I think St. Brown is... Again, going to pile up a lot of targets, a lot of receptions. And once you do that, 
Maybe we'll see another wide receiver like Justin Jefferson last year who was who was on the cusp of possibly being Offensive Rookie of the Year if it wasn't for Justin Herbert. So my three guys are, again, Javante Williams, Kyle Pitts, and Amon Ross St. Brown. Let's go to Defensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, there's some candidates there, and uh, let's see who you go with there, Ed. Well, I think the number one name that comes to mind is Patrick Sertain II. Um, I think he's going to be a good corner. I think, you know, the fact that he's playing in Denver, uh, this is a team that, you know, in the past five to seven years has been a defensive team, a good defensive team, Uh, you know, especially playing with Von Miller, who, you know, can get after the quarterback and frankly make the cornerback's job easier. I, I think there's no reason that Patrick Sertain won't succeed in Denver. There's Micah Parsons, who, I mean, I see him a little bit as a boomer bust, but I mean, he's just, he's such a great athlete. You have to project him to be, you know, a good linebacker. I mean, it's just, you know, with what he runs, you know, like 4-4 speed and, you know, being a linebacker size, you have to think that with that, that athleticism, given the right, you know, opportunities that he, he could push for that, you know, award. Well... Uh, Bovada has Michael Parsons as the favorite. Uh, they've got him at plus 500 to claim that Defensive Rookie of the Year award. So, I mean, Michael Parsons was used in a really unique way at Penn State. He was more of a blitzer. So we haven't seen him in coverage. His speed and athleticism tells me that he can keep up with even the fastest wide receivers out there. But we haven't seen that. And we'll see how he'll transition. You know, in the NFL, you're going to have to prove that you can cover people. And uh, I'm not sure he's going to be the alpha dog for the Dallas Cowboys because they've got Jalen Smith. They've got Leighton Van Der Esch, a linebacker. We'll see if Micah Parsons can claim that spot. So he's got some other guys at that, at that position that are probably going to be more of alpha dogs out there. Anybody else you got? Well, you have to think about J.C. Horn. I mean, being the fact that, you know, he he was the first defensive player taken, you know, he had a great pro day, you know, a guy who can rack up some interceptions, a guy who can be on the stat sheet, you know, a guy who's a playmaker on the defensive side of the ball. So J.C. Horn is a candidate for me. I'm so happy to hear you say that. I mean, you've warmed up to J.C. Horn. It was funny. I watched one South Carolina game last year and I was like, wow, this guy's really good, you know, and I was tweeting about him and his name caught on. And then, uh, you know, I sort of watched the film and Tyson Campbell kind of stuck out to me and he he became my number two. But um, they got to see something in his personality and the way he carries himself uh, to be taken number eight. He had probably one of the best pro days of all the corners. Um, So, yeah, I I would say J.C. Horn is up there. I'm glad that Ed has has come over to the other side and has recognized that Horn has got an opportunity. I think it's going to be tough for a corner to claim the defensive rookie of the year. It really is. I mean, he would have to come down with a lot of interceptions, a lot of picks in order to do that. And I'm not sure that both Patrick Sartain or J.C. Horn can do that. I think it's still a linebacker award. Because the linebacker has an opportunity to to get a lot of, you know, make a lot of impact plays, get a lot of tackles. And that's why I think um, I'm going to go with Jeremiah Wusso-Karamoa. I realize that Cleveland is loaded with a lot of good players. But this guy's like Parsons all over again. I mean, he just flies all over the field. 
makes a lot of plays, makes a lot of tackles, makes a lot of big hits. He's a really good pass coverage linebacker because he was asked to do that at Notre Dame. And so we've seen that. So he can impact the game, not only as a tackler, but he can also come down with some picks and some pass deflections, another versatile guy. And I'll go with another second-round pick. I'm not going with first-round picks. I'm going to go with Aziz Ajolari. The Giants are running a 3-4 defense. This guy is just going to be a pass rush specialist, I think, in the beginning. But he knows how to get after the quarterback. And if he can get sacks, if he can get those tackles for loss, he can make some impact plays, he can force some fumbles. This could be like a Chase Young type of situation all over again. You know, if he's healthy, Ajolari, they're going to make everything in their power to get him in there for him to be successful, especially on those passing downs. Ajulari for me and joke. Jeremiah Wusu Karamo. I'm going with two second round guys. I'm going a little bit off the grid. These guys were rated highly on everyone's board. They fell a bit for different reasons. I'm sticking with them. I think they're going to be up there in the Defensive Rookie of the Year nominations. All right, NFL breakout players. Everybody wants to find out who that next breakout player is in the NFL, whether it's rookies or second-year players or maybe some veterans that are finally getting a chance possibly to make an impact for a new team. So give me a couple of guys, Ed. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first, you know, sort of internet blogger, uh, podcaster to, to say this. Jerry Judy is definitely one that you have to think of. And I, I have a lot of good reasons for why I think he will. Is it Drew Locke? It's not Drew Locke. I, so one of my arguments is that I think Teddy Bridgewater is going to win that job in camp. And I think that's going to be his ticket to improving his stats this year. The fact of the matter is, is Jerry Judy was the best receiver in that 2020 class. I mean, it, it, in, a, in a class that was loaded, I mean, maybe now I probably would have put Justin Jefferson first. But still, I, I mean, he, he still shows the most potential of any of those receivers in that class. Jeez, potential is a scary word, Ed. I mean, CeeDee Lamb and Justin Jefferson certainly outplayed Jerry Judy. And and the fact that the Denver Broncos have Cortland Sutton coming back and the fact that they don't have the best quarterback situation out there. And I've already mentioned that I think they're going to try to be more of a running team like they've done in, in the past. All right. I'm glad that you're still on the Jerry Judy bandwagon because he was your number one wide receiver in that draft. Jerry Judy won the Bolitnikoff Award as a sophomore at Alabama. I, I think year two is a magic number for a guy like Jerry Judy. Fair enough. I'm, I'm on board with it. I, I hope Jerry Judy breaks out and we'll see a, a different player because in his rookie season, he really struggled catching the football. He's a guy that can get open. He creates separation and, you know, he, he makes it look easy because of his route running, but he's got to be able to, you know, make those catches. He certainly struggled with drops, something that we saw at Alabama before. All right. Anybody else? I think I'm going to get on your good graces by saying Kyle Pitts. I mean, just the fact that the guy is uncoverable. I mean, you have to think with an aging quarterback like Matt Ryan, you would think that a guy like Kyle Pitts would be his best friend. Whereas maybe in the Julio Calvin Ridley days, you threw the ball deep, you moved the ball, you threw it 10 yards down. Now maybe, you know, you go for a seven, eight yard out and you get the ball to Kyle Pitts and it's easier and it's more efficient 
and he wins. And yes, you're going to win deep. Yes, you're going to win in the red zone. But I think I think Kyle Pitts is an. I mean, he's almost like an easy easy pick on for this. I'm glad you picked him. I'm glad you went with him and haven't forgotten him. Again, he's he's going to have a lot of targets in that Atlanta Falcons offense with Julio Jones moving on. I'm sure you've got a couple of more, Ed. Well, I mean, one one that I have to say is Jedrick Wills uh, from the Browns. I mean, realize that he's the left tackle on an offensive line where left to right, it, it just gets better and better, right? Like, I mean, this is a team that, you know, from left guard to right tackle, nobody competes with them. And this is a guy who has a lot of potential, who, who showed up, you know, he showed up as a rookie, but he wasn't the guy. Even though he's the left tackle, he's, he's the guy who's going to be learning. But I, I think, you know, he's raw, he's young, you give him, you coach him up, and I think he's going to have a big year as a sophomore. Well, he already had a good year as a rookie. It's not a stretch to say that he's going to take his game to another level in his second year. All right, I'll give you a couple of guys. I've been driving the Sam Darnold bandwagon ever since his draft in 2018. I didn't get my wish. You know, he didn't turn into a star. He was a disappointment with the Jets, but to be fair, he didn't have a good team around him. Now he moves on to the Carolina Panthers. He's got a Christian McCaffrey. He's got, you know, two, three wide receivers that can catch the football. We'll see what, you know, how the offensive line will come together. I mean, that's probably the biggest question mark, but the Carolina Panthers are building something. I think they're going to have a good enough defense. I like Matt Rule, Joe Brady, and Sam Darnold. I think that could be a special connection. So, I'm buying Sam Darnold. I'm hopping on that train. I'm hyping him up, and I hope he gets it done in 2021. If he does, Joe Brady is going to get a head coaching job. You know, Sam Darnold is going to get an extension, and the Panthers are going to be right that they decided to trade for him. So I'm the biggest Sam Darnold believer out there. This is the year for him to prove it. He's got to get it done. No more excuses. So I think he's going to be one of those breakout players. Another player... Is a second-year wide receiver for the Colts. Michael Pittman came out of USC. I was really high on him. And down the stretch, he topped a couple of 100-yard games. And I thought that the, the Colts staff was kind of figuring out ways to unlock him. He's got size. He's got hands. He's got you know good physicality. And he could be a big-time weapon in the red zone for the new quarterback, Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz loves those big, physical wide receivers. So I'm sure Michael Pittman is going to become his favorite fairly quickly with that Colts organization. So those are my two guys. I decided to you know stick to two, not try to you know unlock five or six guys. Those are the guys that I really feel good about, Michael Pittman and Sam Darnold. What do you think about that? I mean, you've abandoned Sam Darnold, Ed. It's kind of like he's he's been in, in New York and he had his chance and he was a part of the problem in New York. I mean, there's a part of this where he he didn't perform to the level that we thought he would, right? There was nothing really wrong with him as a prospect. But, I mean, he always had that kind of, like, casual, long, you know, kind of throwing motion. And he, he did fix that at the NFL level. But I feel like it changed his game a little bit. Would you agree? I think the biggest problem that Darnold had when he was coming out of college were the turnovers. There were a couple of games that you turned on and you were like, wow, this is kind of piling up. He had like multiple picks that he threw during the game. I thought that was his biggest problem, the turnovers. 
And once he got to the NFL level and he wasn't surrounded by, you know, better talent, he had better talent at USC than he had it with the Jets. I mean, let's be fair with, about it. And when he didn't have that talent, his accuracy kind of went down. I feel sorry for Sam Darnold because he was tied to Adam Gase, who's just useless. He didn't have the wide receivers. He didn't have an offensive line. I'm just, I'm so happy that the Jets are trying to build something right now the right way with Zach Wilson. When the Jets drafted Sam Darnold a few years back, they basically said, Sam, you can do it all by yourself, you know? You don't need, you know, other players on offense. You're Superman. You're going to take us to the Super Bowl. It's not how it works. Football is a team sport. This isn't basketball where you can have LeBron and, you know, by himself and he can still win like 40 or 50 games. It's really unfair. So that's why I'm sticking up for Sam Darnold. He didn't have the support system with the Jets. He has it now with the Panthers. And we're going to find out this year what Sam Darnold is made of because he's not going to have any more excuses. He's got a good offensive squad there. And if he doesn't get it done, that's it. I'm abandoning the Sam Darnold bandwagon, but I can't do it right now just because I think he's still 23 years old. He still has a lot of upside, a lot of potential. He still has room to grow with the good coaching staff, with the competent offensive coordinator who could develop him. I mean, we saw the wonders that Joe Brady did for Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was a nobody before Joe Brady got there with the LSU Tigers. I have a feeling that Brady is going to have a positive outlook and, you know, he's going to have success with Sam Darnold. So that's why I'm sticking up for him. Let's talk about another quarterback that I think is going to be high on everybody's lists. And I have a feeling he's going to be a number one overall pick once it's all said and done uh, because he's three years removed from high school. And that's Spencer Rattler. The phenom quarterback coming out of high school. He was a five-star recruit. We saw glimpses of what he can do during his freshman season. He led the Oklahoma Sooners to another Big 12 title. The Sooners have had a huge, rich history with Lincoln Riley and those quarterbacks. You know, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. A couple of them were number one overall picks. And I think Lincoln Riley can do the same thing for Spencer Rattler. So what do you like about his game? Gosh, Alex, the first thing that you have to realize about Spencer Rattler, this is really cool to see from a quarterback. I know he's not a true freshman right now. You know, last year he was a, he was a redshirt freshman. The game is so slow for him. Do you see that on tape where, I mean, he just, he feels the rush. I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like one of those like veteran NFL quarterbacks. Like if they played at the college level, just the way he kind of waits for things. I love the fact that he's got a, he's got a short and compact motion. He's a pocket quarterback with a short and compact motion. That kind of thing really will serve you at the NFL level. It's the kind of thing that really won't give you a huge competitive advantage at the college level just because the game is slower. I mean, it's like it's like the reason why like a guy like Sam Darnold can have a long windup like he did 
But just the fact that Spencer Radler can feel the rush, wait till he's ready, and make the decisions. But I mean, I'm not gonna just say that Spencer Rattler is the kind of guy who's not gonna is not gonna make the tough throw. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna throw the ball downfield into double coverage if he thinks he can get it there. He is a guy who can drop it under the bucket. You know, that's really where he is strong. He is a guy who can throw the ball all around the field, and I just love the way that he throws the ball in an effortless way. And he's got a cannon, yeah. Ed. He's got a really strong arm. I mean, he can he can throw it into a tight window without any problems at all. He can attack you, you know, in, in the short, intermediate, deep area. He works through his progressions. He scans the field really well for a young player who's only started for a year. This is a guy who's only been a starter for one damn year. And he's got some Patrick Mahomes to his game. I mean, he's got some of that magic, and he's got a really, like you said, effortless motion, and he's got a strong arm. Look, but on this show, we don't only talk about strengths. We realize that he's a young player, that he's going into his second year. We got to pick out some weaknesses. What are a couple of his weaknesses? I don't want to say he's an inaccurate quarterback, but I think if if there's one area where he can kind of tighten up, it's not so much accuracy, but consistency with accuracy. Do you... Are you seeing that on tape with him? You mean you want to say that he's a bit streaky? He, he, he can be a bit. He can throw a few bad balls. He, I mean, he can he can put it on a dime in ball placement, lead a receiver to the ball. Great. And I'm saying he, he does that most of the time. But it just sometimes he misses throws. He's inaccurate. I don't know what it is. It almost seems like he, he's not amped for it or something. I don't know. You know, this is a redshirt freshman quarterback. One year of starting experience, and he's going to be better in that second year. We remember the Texas Longhorn game, right? I mean, he was horrible in the first half, and they pulled him. But when he came back in the second half, he showed heart. I mean, he showed like he was unflappable. I mean, he was undeterred in that game. Even though he got pulled for a young player, he came back, and he fought hard, and he won that game. That's what you got to do in the NFL as well. You got to have that thick skin. By the way, I mentioned that Spencer Rattler is probably the favorite for the first pick in next year's draft. And according to Bovada, he's plus 140 to be the first pick in the 2022 NFL draft. He's also the favorite to win the Heisman at plus 500. So I believe that. Him and Lincoln Riley, I mean, that seems like a magical connection. So I'm sure he's going to win that Heisman out there. The one thing that I see out of him is, to me, it's ball placement. Ball placement matters in the NFL, and at times you see him missing. He misses high, he misses low, he makes his receivers work for it. He doesn't lead them in that regard. He's dropping it in the bucket at times, but there are other times that he can have that touchdown. The guy's wide open, just place it in the right spot, and that's it. He'll walk it in for like a 70-yard touchdown, but no. Wide receiver is falling, he's catching it, you know, he's diving for that ball, and there's no touchdown there. So I think that's my biggest problem with Spencer Rattler at this point. He's got a strong arm, he's accurate, but I think the ball placement needs to be better. He needs to lead his receivers in stride so they can, you know, get that easy first down or get the touchdown. I think that's the biggest thing. But I see a playmaker at the quarterback position. Yeah, he's small. 
But that's kind of thrown out the window nowadays. I mean, Baker Mayfield was the number one overall pick. Kyla Murray was small. He became the number one overall pick. The NFL doesn't look at that anymore. I think 10 years ago, you would have said, man, he's small. I mean, he's going to check in at like six feet, you know, 210. And um, he would have been small. But now it, it really doesn't matter. You put these quarterbacks in the shotgun formation and they just sling it all over the field and that that's not a counter argument anymore size doesn't matter do you think spencer rattler will be the number one overall pick like yes i do think he's you know the favorite to win that job that you know to win that position but realize too i mean there there's a whole season to play and i mean you know to to me a season you know in football is 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 this kind of a marathon and a lot a lot does change. I mean, you know, you know, Spencer Rattler is going to have bad games. There's going to be a point where people are going to question that. You know, I mean, there's Sam Howell too. I mean, there's Keaton Slovis. There's um, there's also a defensive player who, um, you know, in this draft, who a lot of people are high on, and I haven't researched, but I mean, he, you know, he could he could win that number one spot. It's Kayvon Thibodeau uh, from the Oregon Ducks. So I mean, there is other options. I mean, right now. As we sit, I, I have a lot of good things to say about Spencer Rattler. This is the thing. I'm very intrigued by him. I don't think there's a lot of bust potential with Spencer Rattler. There, there's bust with everyone. I, I hate that word, you know, like safe. There's no bust potential. I really hate that. Everybody's got bust potential, but there's a lot to work with. And he's got a really competent head coach who knows how to develop quarterbacks and they have a lot of weapons, a wide receiver. He's going to put up huge numbers next year. Huge numbers. I have, if he stays healthy, he is the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. And he is the favorite to be the number one overall pick. With all due respect. I mean, I know a quarterback is going to go number one next year. And I have a feeling it's it's going to be him over a guy like Sam Howell. I wish him well. And... Uh, yeah, we'll come back next week, and I'm sure we're going to talk about another player. We're going to put another player under the scope. Maybe we'll go with Kayvon Thibodeau. Let's do that, Ed. Next week, we'll turn around and, and go with Thibodeau from All Oregon. All right, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I, you know, I love to watch a pass rusher. You know that. Let's do that because, I mean, we're talking about guys that are, you know, projected to be top three, top five. We're focusing on those underclassmen that are that are in the running for that. Thank you for listening to another episode of Blitzcast. Take care, everyone.